Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. He is just an obsessive goal scorer. But they have to understand I chose to, to stay in my country because I'm French. And... Welcome down to the Champions. Use your friends dropping your comments and questions in the channel. Make sure you smash the like and subscribe buttons as we preview the World Cup semi-finals. In the House of Champions today, we have Jonathan Johnson, Nigel Rio Coker, and a quick golf clap. Yes, we've got a special guest with us today. Welcome, Christina Uncle. Oh, yes, yes. Media expert, rules analyst expert. She is the best of the best. Christina, it is great to see you. Uh, how are you doing, first and foremost? Ah, doing well. Uh, a lot of a lot of football, a lot of soccer, a lot of calcio, however you want to call it, we've seen. Uh, so I can't believe we only got four more games left. Yeah, it's a little crazy. It's gone by very, very quickly. Now, there was some sad news that obviously came out of Qatar uh, just over 24 hours ago. We covered it extensively yesterday. Very good friend of ours, Grant Wall, unfortunately passed away. Um, I just wanted to know if you had a little story or something to say about Grant, your personal interactions with him, because I know he touched the hearts of so many people in U.S. soccer. Yeah, and I think uh, you, you, what we've seen is this outpour of everyone having been impacted him, whether you're in the media world, when you, whether you were a player, um, and I think this goes and shows his legacy and who he was is that not only did he outreach and pour to coaches, players, media journalists, but also referees. He was a friend of the referees. He always wanted to know the stories. Uh, he hosted me on his podcast as well to learn more about refereeing. And the fact that he wanted to cover the beautiful game from all the angles, all the teams, and even see it from the perspective of the officials uh, just goes to show the type of individual and person he is and his continued legacy will last of how we should be capturing this game. And we can't thank Grant for all his contributions to this beautiful game. What about the, what he did and how he actually said or spoke up for, for women in sports in particular? Because I was always impressed with the way he shared his voice and his platform to maybe push women, the women's game, to push women's officials as well in particular. Did you notice that he was a real large voice when it came to really pushing the women's game? 
I did. He was actually probably, and I would say still to this day, uh, his work will continue on through his writings and his opinions, where he was one of the few people that I had seen stepping into this media world. And even as a referee saying, this individual is speaking truth with no fear of repercussions of what that can, can impact, whether it's a new gig, it's a new job, it's a new broadcaster he'd work for. And that to me is very powerful because I really do believe that your values aren't your values unless you're willing to sacrifice something for them. And Grant epitomized that in the symbolic for that because he would speak his values, whether they were popular or they were not popular. And in especially the women's game, when there weren't many champions for it who at least thought it was either politically correct or were afraid to do it or maybe not courageous enough, um, he was one of the allies. And the game can't grow from all angles, specifically the women's angles, as well as those that are socioeconomically deprived, unless we have allies on this team. And Grant was a huge ally and his work will continue. And I think he brought awareness to many individuals who had the right, the power and the ability to make decisions at the table. He was that constant voice in their heads and that consciousness when maybe there was no one else there at that moment. Yeah, well said, Christina. And I'm glad you actually shared those words. Thank you for doing so. And if you want to hear more of our words on Grant, while we covered it really extensively yesterday, JJ jumped in, Nigel Rio Coker jumped in, Michael Hood, and also I shared a lot of personal stories about Grant. So jump back in YouTube or onto our podcast and make sure you find that episode because we we, we just all love Grant Wall and we will forever uh, live on in his legacy. We will make sure his name is never, ever forgotten when it comes to our beautiful game. Let's talk about the beautiful game, or shall we call it the ugly game? Christina, let's get into it. Um, there was lots of controversial officiating decisions um, in the knockout stages. Obviously, going into the knockout stages was pretty good officiating. Me and you had a private conversation. Was pretty. I was pretty impressed with the way the officials were actually going about their business. Now the knockout stages are getting to the, the really nitty-gritty. We are starting to see some very controversial decisions. Let's begin with Argentina against Netherlands. I mean, there's no place better to begin than that game right there. FIFA charged Argentina for disorder at the World Cup following their match against the Netherlands. A record 17 players and coaches were shown a yellow card in the game or after the game. Uh, mm -hmm. It looks like obviously both federations will get fined as well. Christina, this was an absolute unbelievable performance from the referee Antonio Matteo. Um, basically, your, your opinion, your thoughts, process, and can you even explain to us what the hell happened? Yeah, this is this is actually, the, you hit on the head, it was incredibly surprising. Uh, Lajos, Spanish referee, champions final referee right so we're not talking about someone who doesn't everything is pedigree everything on paper you know does not look like a bad assignment whatsoever his uh his his uh unique quirkiness of how he manages players sometimes goes to you know one of his strengths unfortunately with this matchup it was not one of his strengths um in fact by him trying to maybe not give as many yellow cards in the beginning of the game, lost control of this match. And when we say, and it's it's really hard to watch it from an officiating perspective where you can see the game starting to unravel and it started to unravel really quickly. And you're sitting there like, for the love of God, please at halftime, everyone get together, figure out how we can bring this game back. Hoping second half he would do so, um, him and his team, right? Because it's not just one person out there, right? It's the assistance from ARs, fourth officials. The game just got way too big and way out of control. And we always say details matter, right? Everyone's looking at the bigger decisions, right? Because that's that's what everyone's trained on. When I'm looking at these games, I'm looking at the smaller decisions, the management off the field. Uh, what are we controlling? What are we stopping from happening, right? The, the the ball being cleared by Argentine player into the into the Netherlands bench, right? When not only coming out with only one yellow card in that mass confrontation, right? <laughs> We're sitting here saying this this game's gonna go. This game's not coming back. It's not coming back. That was the final death knell, in my opinion. 
which was way still ahead of everything else that happened where I'm saying this game's not going to come back. And you can see it not just in the, in the entire full time and extra, but also in kicks from the mark, uh, what everyone else likes to call penalty kicks. It's properly kicks from the mark. There you go. Um, you just really, the dark arts coming in right from the Dutch players taunting the Argentinian players every single time referees, not really dealing with it physically standing there doesn't mean anything. Right. Um, so it, it was incredibly unfortunate. And I hate to use the word unfortunate because this is making decisions between a team going home, right? a team coming home and a team staying. And it is regardless of his performance, right? It's being applied to all FIFA referees because they're saying these are the most difficult games in the entire world. Right. Champions League, I would argue the final is probably the next hardest game out of a World Cup. Right. Qualification uh, uh, when we go into knockout stages. So these are the most difficult games. And this is someone that would be acknowledged around the world as probably the top 10, top 15 referee in the entire world. And if he's struggling with this game. Right. Who else could, you know, probably succeed with this game? Um, And there's a couple of maybe a couple of other individuals. But then that goes into where I don't think people realize is the assignment of the officials and how mm-hmm. difficult that can be due to the fact that nationalities are taken into uh, perspective, right? What, com- what confederations are they're coming from? Uh, how does that line up for the next matchups and all of that stuff? So um, it really incredibly heartbroken um, going back and watching that game uh, just for what it meant for that official and for that team. Um, but more importantly, also, even though we're out there and we're trying to do our best, it really matters. We're out there refereeing for the players. Um, mm-hmm. And so to know that both teams equally shared and, and justifiably shared uh, uh, in, in being upset by the officiating uh, level and standards and application, um, that's just really heartbreaking from a, a football perspective. You know what I really like about this match in terms of the stats and like the disciplinary side of things? Vague Horse got booked. On the, on the stroke of half time when he was still a sub. He comes on after about 78 minutes and he scored twice by the end of 90. But the fact is he came onto the pitch already with a yellow card because of everything that had gone on in the game so far. Now, Christina, I've got a, I've got a question for you. I mean, obviously Ian touched upon it earlier. Sort of the standard of refereeing or at least sort of being able to question referees' decisions. Uh, you know, we're in a position now where there's been a lot more talking points since the beginning of the knockout phase than the group stage. I mean, what, what do you attribute that to mainly? I mean, is it the fact that in this particular game, you know, the Argentines could speak to Laos in their, in their native uh, language, uh, you know, because obviously both speaking Spanish? Or, um, you know, is it a fact that too many of the potential clashes have ruled out potentially better suited referees for certain individual matchups? Uh, I think it's a mix of all. So it's not one or the other. Um, one thing is that what we do specifically is if you speak the native language of one country, uh, instructed and importantly to, to keep with, right? I'm not sure whether Lajos only spoke Spanish, but, you know, he speaks English. And what we say is speak the language that is universally known. So if you do have two Spanish speaking teams, then go ahead, speak Spanish, right? The point is we want everyone to know what it is being communicated with. So, um, you know, if Lajos decided to use Spanish when he was speaking to Argentinian players for some reason. We hope that that would not be the case that there was Dutch players around just so they know that whatever's being communicated isn't going into this conspiracy theory, right? Which is what we've seen. And even with Portugal yesterday, them all making statements about the Argentinian referee on their game, right? And how it's, it's propelled into uh, conspiracy theories out of the gate. And that's what we tried to avoid is any appearance of impropriety, right? So you're a judge, anything we could do to avoid these types of conflicts or even asserted conflicts that don't even exist, but people want to make a story out of it. That's what we try to avoid. That didn't help, right? Because when you talk about the psychology 
uh, behind players and behind teams. Like they are right. Instead of focusing maybe on strategic plays and movement, et cetera, for some reason in our game, there's more focus on the, 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 the referee on being able to, and can, right, a game-critical decision, right, a key match incident is what we call it, that can change the outcome of the match. Yes, that's important. But people always think that, at least in this game, in football, that you can manipulate the game if you're manipulating the referee. So any way we can try to avoid that, we try to do so. Um, but kind of, yeah, to that point, um, you know, I personally think this game would have been great for the Italian referee or Sato. Um, based on his style of play, his level of respect, his established nature, he was the one who had the opening game. However, do we keep Orsato for the final or for one of these semifinals? And I think the answer there is yes, right? Because you can't have Orsato referee, uh, you know, these quarterfinals and still be available for the semifinal and the final because you've already seen one of the teams. Um, and or if he has a bad performance or just not as strong of a performance, right? Maybe not a horrible one, but not as solid. He can't go on to do the semifinal and final. So it does shake out where if you either – an official that you were hoping <laughs> that would have been in the playoff stages doesn't have a strong group stage. Um, then you can't use them for the future. And it turns into this incredible puzzle piece uh, of how to do so. Chris, two quick questions. First one for the England game. Do you believe that Saka was fouled before the first goal by Chuamini for France? Second question. Only one, Chris, <laughs> who is who has been the best referee in this World Cup. You can answer that later before we let you go. You can think about that one. But was Saka fouled before the first goal by France, in your opinion? So I do believe he was fouled. Um, that's my preferred opinion on that decision, was I do believe he was fouled. Now, does it rise to the level of a clear and obvious error, right? Does it lot rise to the level? I don't think the answer there is no. I think the preferred decision is a foul. But when we talk about, you know, if you were to put referees in the room and we do clip analysis, right? And this is, you throw it in there, you would have about maybe about 70% of the referees say, yes, I believe that's a foul with 30% saying, no, I think there's some mitigating factors to take that foul away and we don't want it there. So when I say like 70, 30%, I don't mean 70% are calling and 30% are. I'm just saying that is general discussion in there with us all walking out with what a quote unquote preferred decision is that we all need to apply. Even that 30% you might not think so. And I think ultimately it was a foul. Interesting. Nigel, a uh, very good question, by the mm -hmm. way. And as we go into that game, there was obviously some controversial decisions from the referee pointing to the spot a couple of times. I thought there could have been another penalty kick awarded to Harry Kane um, as well. So real quickly, I just want to know your opinion. Being in that position many times yourself, when you've already given a penalty kick or maybe you've already given two penalty kicks, does it sort of change your mindset when there's an, another shout for a penalty in the game? I mean, it would have been an absolute unbelievable thing to see three penalty kicks being awarded in that game. Yeah, and that's what we talk about, kind of that mental fortitude and mental strength. Is it in the back of an official's mind? A hundred percent, right? Do we know what we've given in that game and that impact of the decision? The answer is yes, that's inevitable. When people say absolutely not, I'm like, you're ignoring your subconscious then. Your own conscious ignoring your subconscious and by responding in that manner. But mm -hmm. You know, even so, that's what we say. Those are the referees who have the gravitas, right? Or we can use other words, but I'll, I'll keep it right, PC right now. But right, that have that within them to say that despite understanding the gravity of the situation, if it is 100% misconduct, even though it's that third penalty, I will give that third penalty and also be mentally and physically prepared for the aftermath and how to handle <laughs> the players coming and the you know pressure it puts your team on immediately. So that's usually what you get. I mean, even at this level where it's the, you know, 
you got to walk into every game thinking it's, it's your last, especially when you're at the FIFA World Cup level, right? Because even if you have an okay game politically, somebody might not like you, and that could have been your last, even if it wasn't your own performance. So you're officiating it as in your last, trying to get 100% correct, even if that means there's a third penalty. The videotape doesn't lie, so you got to get those correct. I'm kind of asking you now, Christina, to sort of take us behind the scenes in terms of a referee preparing for one of these games. Now, I'm not trying to defend Sampao and, and his decisions in that game, um, but does it factor into a referee's preparation, sort of the the style of play uh, of the leagues that the majority of the players in both teams are coming from? from that, for him, for example, would he have looked at the sort of refereeing that goes on in the Premier League and Ligue 1, two physical leagues where you get players, uh, you know, sort of laying into each other a lot. You quite often see a lot, uh, you know, sort of allowed, you know, the referees let it fly sometimes when it could perhaps be flagged up for a foul. So do you think perhaps he was trying to, to give them uh, a sense of refereeing or officiating that was more familiar to them uh, at club level? Yeah, you hit it 100% on the head. We do our research before. We, by research, including watching film, obviously, I think tournament style is a little bit easier because it's it's like any tournament, any sport, right? There's momentum, right? And you get to see their style of play leading into this and how it is. But knowing that it's still the player, the style, because I argue country is definitely different from club. Um, uh, it's a cultural thing, right, too. So it's figuring out what the best mix-up and mash is, right? Sometimes, to your point, in another game that might have been called a foul because, right, you just have two teams that don't accept that level of physicality. And sometimes you'll have two teams that do accept that level of physicality. And you're like, all right, my, you know, foul threshold rises to the higher level because these players can mentally play and physically play at that higher level. So as an official, when you're preparing for these games, you are realizing – what level do I, and, and sometimes, you know, you can go in with a plan and then the players come tell you the complete opposite despite historical footage and videotape. And that's where you as an official need to go in with the plan. We call it pregame. Um, you know, there are meetings before these games. Um, they could be a couple hours. They can be, et cetera. You and your team say, here's what we're doing, X, Y, Z. If for some reason they come in with a different plan, right? Or they come in a different strategy, how will we adjust to what the game demands and needs for the first and foremost is the safety of the players, right? That's our number one priority. It's short of the Hippocratic Oath, which here in the States is, you know, the the, the doctoral creed of saying do no harm, right? That's basically our onus is as long as we keep safety of the players paramount, then we allow the game to breathe from that point. So, um, yeah, officials go through that, um, but also have to be ready and willing to be able to adjust several times throughout a game, right? You don't keep that same momentum. Uh, as we all know, the games rise and fall, right, <laughs> depending upon a goal or not goal or a ball struck into the middle of the Netherlands bench, right? <laughs> and then it, all of a sudden the game explodes. Like, how do we call the game tight from that point and bring everybody down psychologically? We call it releasing air out of the game. Right. When the game is and I always like the game simmering at the top. I just thought it was fun, more entertaining football for everybody, myself included. Right. But sometimes if you know that it can get out of control, we call it releasing air into the game and finding those opportunities to slow the game down a little bit so that psychologically you can bring both of the teams together. You think we're done? We're not done. Let's move on to Portugal <laughs> against Morocco, where a conspiracy theory has taken over a world's beautiful game. Argentinian referee Facundo Tello, um, obviously a controversial figure in this game. Here's a couple of comments that came post-game from some of the Portuguese players. Bruno Fernandes says, I don't know if 
they are going to give the cup to Argentina. I'm going to say what I think and F them. It's very strange that a referee from a team that's still in the tournament referees our game or us. They have clearly tilted the field against us. Pepe, 39-year-old Pepe, came out and said, this is an Argentinian referee. After what Messi said yesterday, it seems there's something very weird. We couldn't play in the second half because the referee kept stopping the game. I want you to talk about that, stopping the game, because it was driving me freaking crazy as a viewer and a lover of the game. I hate it when they stop the game so many times. But also, there was a controversial handball in this game. I don't know if you caught it. They never showed a replay of it. But a Moroccan player... No, the, the Moroccan player goes down inside the penalty area. I've slowed this down, Christina. To me, it looks like a handball. His arm is close to the ground, not yet on the ground, when it strikes his arm, but we don't see a replay enough to help us judge that decision. Overall thoughts on the performance and those controversial talking points. So I'll go straight to the overall talking points because I think that exasperated the actual officiating that occurred on the field, right? I don't think the officiating in the sense of them saying it was horrific rose to the level that we saw right in the in the in the Dutch uh, Argentina game, right? Yeah. But these statements are what jeopardize not just the referees, but they jeopardize this game. So sport in and of itself, if you don't protect the integrity of sport, people will stop watching. That's audience, that's betters, right? That's uh, stakeholders, because if there's no credibility and people think everything's fixed, people are going to say, what's the point of watching any kind of a sport if the prediction's already outcome by somebody behind the scenes, right? The Wizard of Oz in the back, pulling all the kind of channels, et cetera. So I don't think, and I, and, and I urge players and coaches to be a lot more aware of how damaging those types of statements can be. Not just for, oh, we feel better, we got back at the ref. No, 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 damaging for the game in its integrity uh, completely. Because I think they're taking many of the different plays out of context, right? And I understand that they're hurt and they're upset and they wanted the game to go that way. If we were to fully examine the entire game, it was more of an evenly parred game, right? When we talk about fouls that were given, fouls that were not given, like those types of incidents. And so um, by making those statements, you're now putting the entire tournament uh, as well as FIFA, once again, which we know that they're already under like a bunch of scrutiny into a point of jeopardy. And we don't ever want that. And that's why there's penalties and fines for speaking like this, because it's a bigger picture. Now, going to the game in and of itself, right? Um, I had already kind of briefly mentioned, and it all goes down to style and the skills like we call, you know, everyone always thinks referees only have yellow, red cards and a whistle. And I'm like, that's the bare minimum. And those are usually, with all due respect, some of the last instruments we use, our last tools we're supposed to be using. Instead, it's our management style. And it's all about, I think I view the game as, as like, a, right, like it's an orchestra, right? We're coordinating the orchestra, right? We got the strings on this side, right? We got um, percussion on this side. And the official, the center referee, is the conductor of the game and knows when to let the strings go and the percussions go and how they should string together. But sometimes that <laughs> conductor can get it wrong. And when I said that we sometimes, if the game is getting out of control and there's advice of letting the game, you know, maybe slowing it down at certain times, a little bit more stops, bringing it in instead of letting it continue to rise, because it's basically, if you think of a, a pot of boiling water, is it about to overflow, right? Are we at the mm -hmm. point where the boiling is about to overflow? And that's what the referee has to manage in that moment, in that situation, with the feeling of the game of what the players are giving. Because even though we're watching it 
And that's why I prefer watching games in stadium because you can feel energies a lot more. When you pick up energy on TV, you know the energy is even higher in the stadium. Oh, yeah. um, so I get I get it with you. And that's why I always said I kind of let my game like boil almost to the top because I thought it was just more entertaining from a perspective of a, a viewer like you instead of a staccato game where it's stop, 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 stop. And we want free flowing. Um, I think that's where we could have allowed a little bit more of momentum and flowing because the players were willing to have that. And instead, yeah. in this referee's mind, he's like, if I stop this a little bit more, I can control it a little bit more. So it's just not maybe getting the right mix, but it wasn't the right, it wasn't the wrong mentality. It just might not have been appropriate or the perfect moments for him to do it then. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Oh, thanks so much for, for your insight, Christina. I mean, it's fantastic to have you on to sort of make sense of a lot of the stuff that we're seeing. Just one one last quick question from me. You spoke a bit about the importance of maintaining the integrity of the game. Now, we know that there's going to be an investigation into what happened uh, later on in the game between Argentina and the Netherlands. Emmy Martinez plays for my club team, Aston Villa. I, I think he's a great player, but I, I don't agree with what he said after the game uh, regarding the referee. I think he probably went, uh, you know, uh, you know, went beyond the line uh do you think that he should be you know punished as part of that investigation or at least the investigation should take into account what was said because despite the fact argentina advanced you know what he said i guess does bring uh you know the 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 officiating into repute yeah and i think it's the latter it's the integrity component of it right um none of these officials can explain or defend or protect the decisions is what they did they're not allowed to speak Right. Um, so it is on the prerogative for FIFA and others in those positions to ensure that they protect officials from damaging statements when especially if they're if they're unwarranted and or it puts the entire integrity into it. So I, I, I do hope that this is taken, but not taken in isolation of the statement itself. I understand there's a lot of emotional response from a World Cup. I get it. But it needs to be taken in its totality. Um, and, uh, you know, without. You know, if there's an action and there's no consequence for it, people are going to continue to do it is kind of a better way to say it. So but it, it everything needs to be taken and mitigated at certain points, depending upon what was said, when was said. And if there was an environment that it was a controlled environment, um, then that meant is a little bit more premeditated. So many questions we could ask you, Christina. I mean, we could basically talk for over an hour on officiating decisions and certain things that are happening around a beautiful game when it comes to video review as well. It has been controversial in the knockout stages. We can't thank you enough for jumping on board with us. But I know you're not just an official. You are also a lover of the beautiful game. So let's get to your predictions for the semifinal. Argentina against Croatia, Morocco against France. Give me your predictions, please. Oh, uh, yeah. I mean, I think I think Argentina is going to win that one with Croatia. Um, there's just so much spirit and power behind it. I think Croatia is the better team. But I think when we get into this point, I think you then go with energy. Um, and I think Argentina would take it only for that little bit. And we saw them fight. Right. We saw that fight. And that's what I'm looking at. I think Croatia is the better technical team. But I think Argentina is going to take that for that little energy right now. I actually really, really enjoy this France-Morocco team. I think, obviously, France is a powerhouse. But everyone loves a Cinderella story, so I'm going to stick to Morocco on this one. We're going to go with Cinderella on this one. Will you come back closer to the final and we can start to get some you know, ideas of you when we have that uh, decision made as to who's going to officiate that final? Let's get into it a little bit with you around the final. We're going to have a big pregame show, big postgame show. I'd love to have you on at some point. Yeah, 100%. I already got some predictions now, but let's do it then. All right. We appreciate you so much. Christina Uncle, thank you very much. Everybody out there, go make sure you follow Christina on social media. She is very engaging. She's not frightened to get back at you. So be careful with the questions you ask her as well. 
We're going to go to break with Christina right now as we say thank you to her. But when we come back, we're getting stuck into the semifinals of the World Cup. You're watching House of Champions. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I just want to remind everybody out there, if you are an American soccer fan, to follow the Stars and Stripe, please make sure you check out another great podcast in the CBS Sports Podcast family. It's In Soccer We Trust. US uh, Former U.S. Men's National Team star Jimmy Conrad and Heath Pierce and Charlie Davis are previewing and reacting to every U.S. match that was obviously pre-played in the competition, but also reacting to what's happening in the World Cup now. So make sure you go download and subscribe to the In Soccer We Trust podcast anywhere you find this one. But also scan the QR code for a 50% using the uh, code all year to get 50% off Paramount plus it is unbelievable the games that you can watch with us on cbs sports and paramount plus family we're continuing to add to our soccer portfolio you can watch some great shows previews uh post games and, and obviously pre pre-game shows as well kate abdo and the crew over in london and then you can also watch around the clock um on house of champions or cbs sports hq we have a whole host of uh, things coming your way so make sure that you follow us across the board scan the qr code right next to nigel rio coker's head there it is. All right, let's get into it, everybody. Uh, we went very long in the first half of the show, so we're going to fire through the semifinal preview. Let's get into it. Argentina against Croatia. Here is the betting odds to win the World Cup as it sits right now. I find it very difficult to bet against Morocco with the odds sitting like that. However, we do still have three powerhouses. I'll throw that in there because Croatia still are a powerhouse. They're going up against Argentina. I mean... Nigel, I'm going to come to you first because you've been very quiet so far. How is it possible that Croatia are managing to, to get this far by taking teams to extra time and penalty kicks? I mean, this must be incredible fitness levels. It must be coaching. It must be focusing on penalty kicks. It must be a terrific game plan. This is such a small country. If you think about 4 million people in the country, half of them are women. It's insane to think that they can be so successful, produce such a talented team that can get this far in major tournaments. How are they managing to do it, Nigel? Um, experience, quality, and football intelligence. In that's that's what it is. And I think for me, like it, it's it's something that's achievable in a lot of nations if it's done the right way. If the right people are, are are running, whether it's the football federation and looking at the development of players and how they develop players, and then you've got the right coaches who are coaches because they want to see players develop, and not coaches who are just happy to be involved in football, as it happens in some other nations. That's what can happen. 
And it's not rocket science. And I can't stand when people make it seem like it's such rocket science. These people are in power. You put the right people in the right place who are there for the right reasons. This is what can be achieved. For me, you've got a very experienced team. You've got super intelligent football players. And I don't want to talk about commitment, passion and everything else, because that is basically the foundation of football now that should be known around the world. So that is what they've got. They have got that. And they. I think for me, the biggest thing with Croatia is it's the technical quality aspect, but it's also the football intelligence. That's why they're so feared when you come up against opposition. Because again, I'd look at you look at them against Brazil. Brazil against South Korea, they were pressing South Korea, they weren't letting them breathe, but they knew they couldn't have that same approach against Croatia because Croatia can play through pressure. And that's football, um, that's football knowledge. And that's having the quality of players to be able to do that. Because when Brazil tried to press, all Croatia did is just use one, two touch play. They break the first line of press and then they can be in that Brazil team. And Brazil recognised and knew that. So that's what it is for me. I think it's absolutely fascinating what they've done. I think really and truly they deserve a tremendous amount of credit. And I think Argentina are really worried about this game. I think Argentina are very, very worried about how good this Croatia side is how good they are from a defensive standpoint, even without possession of the ball, how capable they are. And I think this is a a very, very evenly matched both set of teams we're going to see with one superstar on one side and the other on the other. Lionel Messi, Luka Modric. They're going to be the two individual players that these teams have surrounded by a good cast of intelligent football players. And I think that really and truly, I think Croatia could do this, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I agree with a lot of what uh, Nigel's saying. And I think to add to that, now I'm going to qualify this. Croatia remind me a bit of Real Madrid. And when I say I'm going to qualify, I don't mean in terms of the way that they play, but we wrote Real Madrid off a lot of times in the last couple of years, saying like, you know, it's a generation that's had its time, yet there were some, you know, evergreen elements to that team. One of them obviously in common uh, being Luka Modric. And I think that is what is enabling Croatia to to make this run now. Uh, You know, they have a lot of technical quality, as Nigel's pointed out. They have a lot of experience, but it's that blend as well. They've filled positions, uh, you know, that have weakened uh, or players that have dropped off of the the radar since 2018. Uh, You know, Strinic, for example, at at left back being one of them, Borna Sosa coming in. Uh, You know, you've got uh, Livakovic in goal now instead of Super. Uh, but you know, I feel that it's a team that has grown together and gone through so much together over the last couple of years. You've got that right combination of players who have the experience, have the technical quality, and can still offer something. So Modric, obviously, being one of them, Brozovic, another one, uh, Lovren at the at the back, Perisic up top, uh, and then you've got other new, interesting elements coming in. We were raving about Juranovic the other day, Gvardiol coming into that defense alongside Lovren. You know. It almost looks like the future is kind of set for Croatia already, uh, yet there are still some of these, uh, you know, old stages uh, who have something to offer. And I think the fact that they have so much, uh, you know, collective experience, notably from 2018, this is a real danger for Argentina because I feel that in that game against the Netherlands, the Argentines showed the way that they can be beaten. And if you get at them mentally, if you fluster them, uh, you know, they will crack. Uh, and I think, you know, for example, Scaloni must be looking at what happened with Paredes. No way that he makes that same mistake twice and sends him on, uh, you know, if they're in a similar situation where they're looking to, you know, to play out the last 15, 20 minutes of a game because it's so nearly backfired for them. The Croats will be looking at that, you know, licking their lips, thinking, you know, if we can, you know, remain icy headed, uh, you know, we could get the the Argentines, you know, self-combusting really. 
Well, there's so many positives to talk about Croatia, not conceding many goals at all. The mentality, as you pointed out, tremendously well. The experience that they have. Um, if you listen to their post-match interviews, it's such a calm and composed team that's talking. They're, there's no head loss in this team. They've been in this position before. The experience is clearly there. And obviously, the talent is there as well. So very, very difficult to score goals against. Obviously, had a couple of no-no games in the group stages. But they know how to get the job done when it comes to the knockout stages with the experience they've got. And I mentioned it before, not many people are talking about this. To have the fitness levels to go through extra time and penalty kicks, but not just physically, mentally to have the fitness level to be able to deal with that. And then when you get into penalty kicks, to slot your penalty kick away, mentally, they are showing how strong they are. And you can see the whole nation is behind them. I played with a bunch of Croatian players, obviously got a bunch of uh, Croatian friends. Uh, Klasnic, you know very well. Uh, Nigel as well, played with them, I'm sure, at Bolton. Crazy, crazy dude, obviously a big St. Pauli legend. Um, and uh, Johnny Salentic, um, uh, Robert Palacuccio. I mean, so many great uh, Croatian guys who just live and breathe their football club. But they don't just live for club football. They live for their national team playing games. If you watch what's happening in the stadium, around the stadium, on social media right now, there's so much love for Croatia. So how on earth, Nigel, I'm going to come to you on this question. How on earth does Scaloni approach this game? It was a great point that JJ pointed out. A little bit of a head loss, a little bit of a lack of concentration from Argentina. They could have got slowed up tremendously in that quarterfinal game against Netherlands and almost got knocked out there. So how does he approach this game knowing what's coming his way, but still knowing he's got to find a way to try and get it done in 90 minutes. I think the thing for me, Ian, is uh, I'll probably throw it back to yourself and JJ as well. I don't see Argentina having a plan B. I think what Scaloni has done, he's made them a team dynamic. Now you see that it's not all Messi centralised and everything is give it to Messi, let Messi beat five or six players and put it in the top corner. You see now players willing to make more runs in beyond. They're not being as static as they once used to be. And we saw that with the first goal against the Dutch with the reverse pass by Lionel Messi. Argentina five, six years ago, Lionel Messi would pick that up. Argentina players would stand still and just let him do his thing. But now you're seeing that it's a team dynamic, but I don't see a plan B. And like how the Dutch rattled them by being physical and direct, that's going to be a problem for this Argentina side. And I don't think they've got players or the tactical substitutions that they can make to be able to weather that kind of storm. And my question I was going to ask to you guys is this, that JJ, from a press perspective, and then Ian, from a player's perspective, how much pressure do you think these Argentinians are going to be under now that they're in the semi-final so quick? JJ will probably be giving us the press perspective in the sense of the amount of media attention that they'll be getting. And Ian, do you think that is going to weigh down on the players? What's your opinion? I personally think that it is. And I think also with how they got through against Holland, them playing Croatia, and how dangerous Croatia is, I think the burden is really going to be a big problem for these Argentinian players in this game, while it's not going to be a burden for Croatia players. What do you think? It's really interesting that you brought this point up because I was having this chat with somebody over lunch the other day and they were saying, I just get this feeling every time I see Argentina scoring a goal at the World Cup. It's not necessarily the outpouring of joy that you see in other teams. It's almost like relief, like we've scored that goal. 
you know, we're going to continue our journey. And I think is the flip side of the coin of what I was talking about a while ago, where that narrative before the tournament that was written about Messi making sure that people know that it's going to be his last World Cup, as great and as useful as that is in terms of its motivation for the players, that also ratchets up the tension. Uh, you know, and now when they feel, like you said, like they're getting so close, you know, they're one step away from getting to the final, potentially two games away, uh, you know, from lifting the, the, the trophy. It is, I mean, it is going to, you know, bring a, a lot more pressure, a lot more expectation. You know, people are believing, uh, you know, in Argentina that it's this is their year, uh, you know, but the, that sort of belief, I, I think, was born out of the fact that many people expected Argentina to wipe the floor with every single team they'd come up against. Obviously, they got a rude awakening against Saudi Arabia, but now they've started to see again with the Netherlands, you've got the, you know, teams are not just going to lie down and, and, and be beaten. And I think, uh, you know, the it's going to be really interesting to see the faces of those players during the anthem uh, ahead of the game against Croatia, because there are going to be quite a few players now who are wary that, you know, they've come so close yet, you know, they, it, it could be so close so far, uh, you know, in case they, they do get beaten by, by a very, very good, very composed uh, Croatian side, because they'll be, they'll, they, they will thrive in that kind of situation. They're not expected to be Argentina. They're definitely the underdogs and they know that they're, Argentina are viewed as such heavy favorites, not just in that game, but for the title overall, that, you know, they're going to be, you know, second guessing themselves if they haven't scored after, I don't know, you know, the first half, something like that. And, you know, there's going to be that nagging suspicion as well in the back of their minds that what we saw against the Netherlands the other day might come back again and, and be a factor. I think it's a great question, Nigel. Um, from a player's perspective, obviously in a World Cup stage, when you get to the, the latter stages of any competition and you've been there yourself in multiple competitions, you, you do start to overthink sometimes the process. Who could we face? Who's next? Who's up? How do we get past them? Maybe we get a final. But also when you get to, uh, you know, as you, you mentioned also, like lifting a trophy, trying to get close to that trophy, you get to a quarterfinal and a semifinal, you're already starting to dream about putting your hands on that trophy. You're already starting to believe this is a realistic opportunity for us to actually put our hands on it. And and I think the pressure is absolutely probably on Argentina more than any other uh, nation that's left in this competition. But I don't think we've seen the best from this Argentina side so far. Now, Croatia, I have bet against pretty much all the way through the knockouts. And, and I don't know why, because they are just an unbelievable machine when it comes to knockouts. Um, but Argentina, I think I will go for again, not just because of Messi, just because I'm waiting for them to have that performance that makes me say, you know what, they deserve to, to lift this World Cup. And if they can get past this Croatia, then I'd like to maybe say that they will most likely deserve to lift the World Cup. But then you've got to think, all right, it looks like you're probably going to have France in the final. I think they're probably relieved it's Croatia rather than Brazil in the semi-final. Um, but that is uh, a be careful what you wish for mentality because this is uh, an unbelievable national team that know how to get it done in the knockout stages. Nigel, real quickly before we get to some comments. Yeah, no, I was just going to say quickly, for me, like I said, I think with this Argentina and Croatia crash, I think that Argentina are going to be more scared than people will actually believe to see. I think right. the burden is going to be so much. Like JJ pointed out there, you feel that you're two goals away from the World Cup. That's going to be in these players' minds because there's so much pressure nationally back home to win this World Cup because they believe they can. They don't have a plan B. There's less pressure on Croatia, less expectancy. I think that the favour and the pendulum swings in favour of Croatia. And also, with everything we've discussed earlier in this podcast with refereeing and everything like that, there's mm -hmm. going to be a tremendous amount of scrutiny on the referee 
not to show any kind of favoritism to Argentina or Lionel Messi because what we saw in the last game. So that is going to be something else that people need to pay attention to because I think with what Messi got away with in that Holland game, I don't think FIFA are going to want that same thing again where it can look where people are putting out these kind of um, rumours or their beliefs that FIFA are trying to make yeah, they want come. the World Cup. So I think that there's going to be a different kind of refereeing mentality for this game. I'm still going to go with a Croatia win. I'm with you right there, and I can understand why you would want to do so as well. Shout out to Tomislav Pavlic. He's saying, come on, Croatia, right there. I'd love to see that there. Matt Osman said, as good as Croatia are, I really think Messi is on a warpath to this one, uh, and that man is unstoppable when he's in that mode. I still haven't seen that best from Messi yet, even though he scored a couple of wonderful goals. still think there's more to come from Messi. JJ, I'm sure you could back me up on that one. Steve uh, Biambi saying, Croatia deserve this World Cup. Simrish saying that Luka Modric will be on fire too. Argentina were rattled by Luka. Luke de Jong, the big man, put a big forward in the box and they'll have to crumble. Very interesting to see because it's not really necessarily that killer for Croatia up front and they've managed to get to a semi-final doing it the way they know how to do it best. Morocco will win and that's where we're going next. That one comes in from Raiding Panda Games. Let's get to Morocco against France. JJ, I'm coming to you first because this one obviously very close to your heart. Uh, living in France, watching French football so intensely, but also recognizing that Morocco... <laughs> it's unbelievable to see what's happening in the streets of Paris around France right now with Morocco celebrating getting to this stage the first time an African nation has made it to a semi-final of a World Cup they deserve to be there they have conceded one goal oh by the way they scored that goal it was an own goal France have got a task at hand this is going to be a mountain to climb but France are absolutely a favourite going into this game or am I wrong? No, France are absolutely favourites going into this one. You can't paint it any other way. Uh, you know, I do I do hope that Morocco will have uh, their best players or most of their best players available. Obviously, there's a bit of uncertainty about Saïs after he had to come off. Uh, you know, there were question marks as well over the fitness of Aguiad, who picked up an injury, Masrari as well, who missed, uh, you know, that quarterfinal. Uh, apologies as well. I mean, yesterday in our reaction post-match, I said that Chomeni would be suspended. He won't, obviously, because, uh, you know, suspensions, yellow cards existing, uh, up until the quarterfinals get wiped for these semis. So that's a that's a boost for France. I do think it makes the, the task a little tougher for Morocco because this French side, we know how Deschamps is going to get them to line up bar an unexpected injury in training. Uh, so, you know, I, I mean, it, this one is... It's going to be such a fascinating encounter. I can see it being tight. I still think that France are most likely to advance. But, uh, you know, that, that doesn't mean that, you know, Morocco should just go out and accept that they're going to get beaten. There's absolutely no way that they'll do that. And, you know, I think something that has been so interesting as well about this potential lead up to this moment in the World Cup from both sides is that, you know, both sets of fans have really, really wanted this. Certainly from what I've seen on the streets of Paris, like, as soon as the final whistle went in that Morocco game, Buffal goes to the microphone, does his post-match interview, says, yes, I, you know, we absolutely want to come up against France. We wish them well in their game against England. We want this matchup. There's so many players in that Moroccan side who have dual citizenship and could have played for France, but have opted to play for Morocco. There's going to be so much needle in there. Trash talking will be great because there's so many Francophone players there. Uh, you know, and there will be the aggro sort of away from the pitch as well with the fans. Hopefully, uh, you know, it, we don't see too many unsavory scenes, whatever the result uh, after the final whistle. But, uh, you know, this is going to be one of the most keenly contested games of the World Cup. And it is going to be a really, really fascinating game to see unfold on the pitch as well. I don't think there's really much to add to that. I think obviously Jay, Jay's going to have uh, more knowledge than we can, Ian, of what it's like being over there living in France and obviously with the 
um, multinationalities that are present. But you drink enough cognac to feel French. Wee 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 wee. I can say uh, Andriel Chouamini. I can say it better than Gary Neville. Anyway, um, I just think it's going to be an absolute firecracker of a game. And I hope, like I said, it doesn't turn ugly or the scenes go bad. When you look at it realistically, the French do have that extra bit of quality more so than Morocco. But I feel that the stars are aligning. And what I love about Morocco, I've said it many times, the way they approach this World Cup, the way they play their game is what I used to remember as a young kid watching the World Cup. So much freedom, so much unpredictability, creativity and belief and desire. I personally feel that this could be another major upset. And I say that because I look at what France did yesterday against England. This is the first time we've seen how shaky the French look defensively. And with England, again, there comes that level of predictability because of styles and systems that we see. With Morocco now, they don't have that predictability. I think they've got players who can be very dangerous in that attacking third, who can leave this French defence open in all types of ways. If they can keep Mbappe quiet, like Carl Walker did, and I'm sure that the Moroccans are going to make it a very physical encounter, I personally feel that Morocco can do this game. And I feel for me, like I've said before, Ian, I would love it if either Morocco or Croatia win this World Cup. I think for football, it will be a win for the beautiful game of football if one of those two nations win it. Mm-hmm. It's hard to, to disagree with that sentiment. You know, you do really get the feeling that it could favour one of these underdogs. I mean, I think there's so many interesting narratives as well by the potential matchups. If it's France and Croatia, uh, you know, it's a rematch of the 2018 final. If it's Argentina-France, it's Mbappe against Messi. And if it's Morocco against Croatia, it's the two underdog teams going through and the the two favourites dropping out. But I've got a question for you guys. After his two assists against England last night, if France make it to the final, obviously a big if because we know it's still going to be a challenge for them against Morocco, does Griezmann have the strongest case to be player of the tournament. We know that he, I think he won the silver ball in 2018 because you you look at the way that he's performing. I mean, he was even creating the most clear goal scoring opportunities coming out of the group stage. Now he's added to that in these knockout phase games as well against uh, against Poland and now against England. It's, I mean, for, for me, he's really rolled back the years with these performances. I feel like his situation at Atleti has actually enabled Deschamps to get him back to his best and have him performing at a good level because he's, mm-hmm. he's perhaps a bit fresher than some of the other players because he hadn't played every game from the beginning of the season with Atleti. And I just wanted to know if you guys have been as impressed as I have and potentially have him down as your player of the tournament. I'll come to, uh, to you first, Ian, and then Nigel. Um, yes, listen, I, I'm, I'm tremendously impressed and we have spoken about him a ton on the show because of his performances. I'm actually really impressed JJ because he picked up a yellow card in the first half and I thought, oh no, this is, this is not good going into a second half here with a player like him. And he run the risk in the second half. He made that one challenge and I thought, oh no, this could be a second yellow, but he played it with discipline, great discipline, great composure but didn't stop him from having a big influence on the game with the way he performed. Really outstanding. He's not the only one that shone brightly for me and that I didn't expect. Rabiot has been terrific in this tournament, and I am not a fan of Rabiot. Now I am. For what he's been doing for France in this competition, outstanding. Chouameni, obviously, the goal yesterday, but also his performances throughout this competition. And then Usman Dembele. I was just, I couldn't believe it. I haven't seen him play this well since he was playing in the Bundesliga. He's just wanting the ball to run at defenders, to cause problems. If it's not happening for Mbappe, like Nigel pointed out on our show yesterday, they marked Mbappe pretty much out of that game. They made it very difficult for him to have an impact. 
Dembele said, okay, give me the ball. Let me be that man. And Dembele really stepped up, as did Griezmann, obviously, with a couple of assists that he provided. But I think it's a great shout, JJ. What a performance from him overall in this competition. It is so nice and refreshing to see him enjoying his football. I know he's only played 20 minutes every now and again for Atleti up until he sorted his contract out. So he does look fresh. But just that freedom, the way he's playing, it makes me not like Atletico Madrid more now because of the fact that he's playing with a lot of freedom. Sorry to produce Mu- Music to producer Dez's ears. Yeah, producer Dez is right. Then I guess uh, JJ is saying that Simeone is the coach of the tournament without being at the tournament. <laughs> by uh, now, now, now. <laughs> but anyway, for me, I think he does. Like, like I'm going to take it back to old school as I always do. I look at the world's best footballers of the ability that he has on the football, what he can do and what they do in big moments. And I think for me, if we get away from the the, the, the modern football game that we're in now, where it's so stats driven and it's all about goals, 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 he definitely should be it. He's been absolutely sensational. Chouamini is another one who I think deserves credit. And also for me, if you look at Amrabat for Morocco, as uh, the comments there saying, He's yep. been absolutely sensational. Super I fun. think that if we just go for actual the players, what they're doing, what they bring to the team, it's not always about the goal scorer. And I think that's what sadly modern football's become. And I think that you're right, JJ. I think he has a great shout if it's done for footballing reasons and actually seeing that it, you don't always have to be the striker that scores the goals to be a good football player. Because we grew up in those generations of you talk about... Um, Luka Modric, what he's doing as well. He's had a sensational tournament. We talk about back in the day of the likes of uh, Paolo Nedved, those type of players. So I think you make a great point, JJ. And I think he definitely should be up there and all alongside the uh, Chuimini as well. I think it's been sensational. A couple of great comments coming in here. Miram saying, guys, I am Moroccan and I feel fine when you call us the underdogs. That's even funny, but I don't think Croatia is an underdog. It's the finalist from last year's World Cup, the second time for them this year. Um, Verdan saying, Croatia's best player. I mean, this is absolutely no doubt about it. Livakovic has been outstanding. If they make it to the final, he has to be in the show, obviously winning goalkeeper, but also should be in the show for um, player of the tournament as well. Uh, Griezmann is such a baller, says Rafa. And Salah Edin says here, this is brilliant. Dembele's wife is a Moroccan. Moroccan. He'll be sleeping on the streets for a week if he scores against us. I absolutely love that comment. Last question from me, JJ, before we get to predictions here. So, Nigel, you're not allowed to answer this one. But, JJ, I just want to know your your, your thoughts on the differences between France that we witnessed in 2018 and France that we're watching now. I'm really enjoying watching both versions. Obviously, France were very, very good all the way to winning it in 2018. But do you see any differences? And, of course, let's not forget, they are missing some key players in their squad. They are missing some key players in the squad. And I think the defence in 2018 was stronger than the defence now. I, I still think that, you know, defence at the end of the day could be Francis Achilles' heel. If they concede to Morocco, which would be in keeping with their entire World Cup so far, uh, you know, you have to assume that they'd, uh, you know, potentially concede in the final if they managed to outscore Morocco uh, in that semi. I, I think the the other thing, though, that we need to point out is there's also quite a few similarities with 2018. Olivier Giroud's uh, comments after the game were very, very, very telling where he drew the parallels between that performance from France against England and the one that we saw from them against Belgium in 2018 on their way to the final. Uh, You know, I think what happened with France before the tournament, uh, you know, we're losing so many players, key players, you know, having Benzema drop out on the eve of the World Cup kicking off, then losing Luca Hernandez, you know, during that first match against Australia. That has given, uh, you know, Deschamps the the sort of tools he needed or the the material to forge the same kind of mentality that they had in 2018 that saw them get all the way to the final and, and win it. I don't think 
that France would have come this far without those testing circumstances. If Deschamps had all of his first choice players available, I think the expectation probably would have been too much. We wouldn't have seen certain players performing at the same level that they're doing now. We wouldn't be talking about Griezmann as a potential best player of the tournament. We wouldn't have Kylian Mbappe top scoring. And I'm not saying that France are not stronger for having somebody like a Karim Benzema available to them or an Nkunku uh, or a Kimpembe in defence. But losing those players has enabled Deschamps to rediscover, uh, you know, the the collective mentality, the sort of the world is against us, uh, you know, kind of feeling that's needed, uh, you know, to go deep in these kind of tournaments. And something else that, that's cropped up since the England win as well, Deschamps is now most likely to stay on until at least 2024 as coach. So, you know, there was a lot uh, at stake for the players on the pitch uh, against England, but also for Deschamps himself. And it sounds like, He's now managed to win back a number of his doubters with the way that France have uh, progressed throughout this tournament. Well said. Breaking news right there, JJ on House of Champions. We love to hear it. Nigel Rio Coca, it's prediction time. So we're going to come to you first because I've got a feeling you're going to go with a couple of crazy ones. Let's begin with Argentina <laughs> against Croatia. Uh, give us a scoreline and will there be goals? There will be goals. And I feel that it's going to be a 2-0 Croatia win. JJ. Uh, I went, well, when I did my predictions uh, at the beginning of the knockout phase, I had Argentina going through against Brazil on penalties after I think it was a 1-1 draw. I'm going to stick to that roughly. Uh, I think that both teams will score and I think that Argentina will nick it in extra time. I won't go all the way to penalties. I know that Croatia would love that if uh, if I did, but I can see Argentina winning it maybe 2-1 after extra time. Well, Rafa agrees with you. Argentina 2, Croatia 1, only because FIFA wants Messi in the final, he says. Um, Michael Ponza, he says, <laughs> Croatia to win on penalty kicks. Carl Davies, Argentinian midfield will prevail. Kevin Sap- Saputa- Saputra, excuse me, Argentina 2-1 agrees with you, JJ, as well. I'm going for a 3-1 Argentina win. Uh, I find it very difficult, of course, because Croatia are the masters of getting to the next round. Oh, yeah, and the next round. Oh, yeah, and the next round. Let's take it to extra time on penalty kicks. It's hard to bet against that nation and their support. So I really hope Croatia turn up and play well. It'll be interesting if Croatia get that first goal. And really, I'm intrigued to see how Argentina handle this game discipline-wise after what we witnessed against the Netherlands. But if they get the first goal, Argentina, I think they'll go on and win this game comfortably. Let's move on to the other game. It's Morocco against France. JJ, I'm going to begin with you on this one here because I've got a feeling where Nigel's going to (laughs) go. Yeah, I... I don't know. Something tells me that France uh, are going to really pay attention to their weak spots. I think they're going to try and make this a real uh, priority to tighten up the defence because they absolutely do not want to be knocked out of the World Cup having come this far uh, against a, a, a team that is made up of many players with dual nationality, like I said, and which, you know, would be a significant source of embarrassment, uh, you know, for for all the fans back home on home soil. They already had a taste of it against Tunisia. They know that they cannot take it for granted. I think France will win this one 2-0. Nigel? I'm going to go and I'm going to say the stars are aligned. I'm telling you, I'm going for a 2-1 win for Morocco. I really feel that... The players have that belief. And what I like and what I always say is I love unpredictability. I've seen coming up from how we grew up, in Ian, with the generation of footballers that we played was you always had one or two special players who can make something happen. I think that is what's been missing in football. I think a lot of these nations now need to go back to that creativity. JJ touched on it with 
uh, and you did as well, Ian, with Dembele taking players on. All that type of stuff is what needs to come back in football. That is what I see in this Morocco side. They're not going to have any fear whatsoever facing this French team. And I feel like France and like Argentina, the pressure on these players is growing now. They're in the semi-finals. Some of these players might be thinking we're two games away from it. That pressure is going to be on them while Croatia and Morocco don't have that pressure. They're the underdog, Cinderella, and as they've been seeing the Rocky story, they have nothing to lose and all to gain. Come that game, kicking off, it's going to be fireworks. I'm going for a Morocco 2-1 win. Rating Panda Games agrees with you. No, no, 4-3 on penalty to Morocco. They're going to win this one. Michael Panza says, a great run through the tournament by Morocco, but I think it ends here. France goes through. Um, and then on to the final. Also, Michael Panza believes that. Matt Osman saying, France won Morocco nil. Mbappe goal, Grizzi assist right there. France three, Morocco nil at halftime, says blah, blah. Very interesting <laughs> comments coming in. I, I, I love their optimism. I have a France uh, 2-0 victory Um, again I love the underdog Um, spent many a year being an underdog in my life and I would love to see both of those nations go through to the final I think it would be just fantastic for football but let's just applaud for what they have done right now Croatia maybe not an underdog anymore but they are the underdog in this game Um, and Morocco they are up against it already created history for Africa Um, if they were to make it into the final Nigel very very quickly in this comment because I know producer Des needs to get us out here very quickly, what would it mean for African football if they were to have a team in the final? It would be inspirational for generations to come. And I think that will also get other footballing federations in Africa to actually get their arse in gear, if I'm allowed to say that, and actually do things properly. I think it would be so inspirational and we will see the benefits of that if they do. Do you, right. do you not do you not think that that achievement has already been made, though, with this run, the, the heroic nature of it? It has, JJ, but I'm different. I think my mentality is this. We're not here for participation trophies. It's here to show that what we're capable of and we're capable of getting all the way to the final and achieving. I don't want to keep hearing people say, oh my God, it's a great achievement. They're in the semi-final. What the hell does that mean? I think it's probably more my personality of a player as well. When you go into something, you go all the way to win it. You want the whole cake. You don't want to slice. You want the whole cake. And that's what I want no people fear to now. recognize. Yeah, huh? Nigel, no fear now whatsoever. No you got to go for it now. You got to go for it. You got a full, um, a full nation and um, obviously their mothers behind them because it's been incredible to watch the mothers at these games. <laughs> I've absolutely loved it. It's been one of the highlights of this World Cup. A couple of comments before we get out of here. David Sedlar saying, I like Nigel. Hello from Croatia. Um, Badir saying Croatia versus Morocco in the final and Morocco is coming to, uh, sorry, excuse me, the World Cup is coming to Casablanca. Z is going to win the World Cup. <laughs> Chelsea. Uh, <laughs> Morocco on penalty says, mindling Motang here. Uh, then we've got to go. Uh, Miriam Mia. I agree with Nigel. You are the best. Love heart from Morocco right there from Miriam Maya. Shout out to you in Morocco as well. Nigel in Croatia is still the you, underdog. You've got your family in the comments again, Nigel. I told you I've got Moroccan family friends, mate. I'm, I'm not stopping. You, I'm, I'm not it. stopping. There's so many more comments coming in for Nigel here. Uh, the injured players are back. Morocco against France. 2-0 victory right there. And uh, Natalie jumps in. No one remembers the semi-finalist, sadly. They only remember the finalist. Great shout right there. All right, guys. Thank you so much for your comments. Everybody out there, just thank you so much for jumping in, involved and getting involved in our show. Uh, House of Champions 
it's not just our house, it's your house as well. So we want you to make sure that you continue to join in the conversation as best you can. It's, it's a great opportunity to have a conversation with Nigel Rio Coker and his crazy mental thinking about the beautiful game. To many people out there, it is beautiful. And I can see from the burner accounts, it is beautiful to you as well. Jonathan Johnson with his terrific report and all the way through France, following closely, obviously, Paris Saint-Germain, but the French national team. He is an Englishman whose heart was broken yesterday. Follow him closely on his social media platform. Tremendously active and uh, one of the best out there, if not the best, in reporting of the beautiful game. So make sure you join in the conversation. We thank you all for listening to House of Champions. Please make sure you also take a minute to leave us a rating and review on your favorite podcast platform. We are available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. So also available as video. So subscribe to us on YouTube. What does that mean? Go leave us a rating. Go leave us a review. Go share this with your grandmother if it means we can get her to enjoy the beautiful game with us. We will be back again on Tuesday following the semi-final. We'll see you all then. Nigel Rio Coker, Jonathan Johnson. One week. Bright shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo. Thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.